Chapter One of Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. Chapter One by Helen Campbell. Sunday in Water Street. Homes of Revelry and Vice. Scenes in the Mission Room. Strange Experiences For six days in the week, the grey-fronted warehouses on Water Street, grim and foreboding, seem to hold no knowledge that Sunday can come. All the week, above the roar of heavy teams and the shouts and oaths of excited drivers, as wheels lock and traffic is for a moment brought to a standstill, one hears the roar of steam, the resounding beat of great hammers, the clash of metal as the iron plates take shape. Whether stoves or boilers have chief place here, it would be hard to say. At first sight, one is inclined to say stoves, since through open doors, as well as on the sidewalks, are enough, it would seem, for the whole world. Great heaters for great houses, more modest ones for lesser needs, and with them stoves of all orders, sizes, and shapes. How is it possible that any creature in any winter, however winds may blow, can remain unwarmed, since here is the poor man's friend, holding only a few quarts of oil, and warranted to consume everything but the merest suspicion of ashes? Here, then, are stoves for the world, and having settled this, it instantly becomes certain that there must be boilers for the whole world also, with a no less supply of sewer and water pipes. Boilers are everywhere, along the sidewalk and in the gutters, and children from the side streets play house within their recesses with as thorough abandon as that of other children in quiet country fields and lanes. They are bedrooms as well, for at least in one boiler two children are sleeping, undisturbed by roar of trade or shout of contending truckmen, while other children, also bent upon such play as the street may afford, play hide-and-seek in the pipes or behind the stoves, and tumble about as if the iron were feather-beds. Now and then a policeman appears and scatters them, but for the most part they have their will, and live their small lives with a freedom untouched by any thought of the press and urgency about them. This is Water Street for six days in the week, and then comes Saturday night, and the doors of the warehouses close, and the crowd streams uptown. The trucks stand idle at corners, and offer one more means of delight for the children, who run under and over them, and reflect that a whole day of such bliss will be theirs, unless some new policeman, more rigid in his notions than his comrades, orders them back to the dens from which they have emerged. Sunday has come, and with it creeps into the empty street all the life that for the other six days bides its time till night and gives no sign of existence. It is essentially a business street and only business, save here and there a tall tenement house, reminders of a day when Water Street, like many another around it, was a part of the region known as the Five Points, long ago reduced to order and decency by forces working for good. This is what the casual looker-on thinks, till the side streets are traversed, and the sudden discovery made that, 
in spite of the fact that business has claimed much of the old ground, enough still remains in the hands of the enemy to offer full harvest for the saloon and bucket shop. Side by side, with warehouse and factory, are dens given over to all abominations. Here are sailors' boarding houses, where poor Jack is fleeced and turned loose to ship again, and earn painfully the wages that he will return to use in the same fashion. Stale beer dives are in every other basement, and from shackling old houses, once the home of the old New Yorkers who knew this as fashionable and aristocratic ground, come the jingle of cracked pianos and the twanging of cheap fiddles. Women hideously painted and bedizened are here, their faces bearing an imprint of vice unspeakable. And here also children swarm at every point, drinking in the influence of all phases of a life which even to look upon for a fleeting moment carries pollution with it. Standing at the corner of Dover Street, shadowed by the great pier of the Brooklyn Bridge, one sees here and there a low, gable-roofed house, the last remnants of the homes once owned by the quiet Dutch burghers, who, if spirits walk amidst their old haunts, must shrink and shudder at the sights and sounds of what was once a country street. Rat-pits and cock-pits, as well as bucket-shops, are here, and they are thronged by recruits from narrow streets and from dark alleys festering with filth. Cherry Street is near, and the neighboring police station is always busy. Every nationality under heaven is brought before its court, charged with every form of drunkenness and vicious act. And though through the week they are in hiding, as it were, and wait for the friendly shadow of night for the work they would do, Sunday is theirs to deal with as they will. What can check them, and what hope is there for this region, where evil rules and every pestiferous alley and swarming tenement house hold its quota of defrauded, vicious, and well-nigh hopeless human life? A step or two farther, and the question is answered. A plain brick building shows itself, a carefully kept walk before it. The wide doors are closed with a spring lock, and on the steps stands a policeman, waving off the children and half-grown boys who make occasional rushes toward the building and smash its windows by volleys of stones. It is the Water Street Mission, and though the rare soul of its founder has passed on to the larger life for which it waited, his work is still done as he planned at the beginning. Jerry Macaulay, born a thief, and with a lengthening record of crime, a bully, drunkard, and convict. Who does not know his story and the work of the thirteen years in which he labored for the ward in which he had grown up, and which he left reluctantly for a field hardly less fruitful in and about 32nd Street, the Cremorne Mission? Whoever once entered the plain little chapel on Water Street, holding at most not over four hundred, and looked into the face of the man whose pride and joy it was, believed at once in his deep sincerity. Other converts who had started missions had fallen from grace, and many had known a last state worse than the first. But for Jerry, fear had long ago ceased. Beginning fresh out of prison, and in one little room, where he hung out his sign, Helping Hand for Men, he had gone on till this fruit of his labors had risen 
as a visible token of what power lies in passionate consecration to the spirit of help. I will write of it then, as it was in the days when he came and went there, and all will be true today, since nothing has altered, and he could once more take his seat in the armchair on the raised platform with no sense of strangeness. On this platform is a small reading desk, a piano, a cabinet organ, and a few benches for visitors who sit facing the audience. Scripture texts hang on the walls, and on each side are two framed cards printed in heavy black letters, speakers strictly limited to one minute. Looking about the audience, which has come in quietly, it is hard to believe that this is the fourth ward, and that it is made up of ex-convicts, criminals of many orders, and all the baser products of this nineteenth-century civilization. Whatever they may have been, today at least finds them new men, and among them all there is not a face that owns worse lines than Jerry's own, or that would be seized upon by the physiognomist with greater avidity as a proof of his most damaging conclusions. A typical bully and ruffian fresh from the hand of nature, who has chosen forms that do not lie. The frame is tall and firm, with long arms and great hands, which show immense brute strength. The head could hardly be more defective in all that makes possibility for man. The forehead is retreating, the eyes small and deep-set, the nose heavy and projecting, and the wide mouth equally animal and significant. There is a keen and quiet observation that one sees at times on the faces of old convicts who have known every phase of successful crime. It is the look, too, of some powerful animal anticipating attack from a hidden enemy, and certain that its own strength will suffice for any conflict that may come. This is Jerry, and at the cabinet organ near him sits his wife, a sweet-faced motherly woman who looks at him with devotion, but also nods and smiles as one and another enter and take what are evidently familiar places. She has played at intervals hymns from the Moody and Sankey collection, to which the feet of the audience keep time as the chapel fills, but as the hands of the clock point to half-past seven, she nods again, and a tall man comes up to the desk and says quietly, Let us pray. It is an Irish tongue that speaks. There is no rant, no shouting, but an appeal of deepest earnestness that this night many wandering souls may be brought into the waiting fold. There are some of us that's clean and decent, he says. There's more outside that is neither. O Lord Jesus, that picked me up out of the gutter, pick them up too, and make them come to you. Bring them in here, he adds, after a moment in which his voice has broken, and he has stood silent, quite powerless to speak. Bring them in here, and let us show them the way out of trouble into peace. A hymn follows, and then a chapter, the story of blind Bartimaeus. The speaker has his own method of pronunciation, but he reads with a reverence so deep that all inclination to smile is destroyed, until he ends with a climax, grotesque yet full of power. And so ye see that the Lord was willing to give his time and his mind to any one that would be asking either. 
I tell ye, dear friends, there's nothing like it. Joshua commanded the sun and moon to stand still, and sure twas for his own interest he did it, but Jesus Christ stood still and spoke to a blind beggar. You'll never get ahead of that, do what ye will. Men crept in as he read and talked, some hatless, others without shoes or coat, with matted hair and dirty face, seeming to have come straight from the gutter, each one watched by the deep-set eyes of the occupant of the chair. His time had come, and now he rose slowly and looked about. "'The time's come for experiences,' Jerry began. "'There's few of you like to have had more than me, but when you start to tell, don't you forget and run over your minute. There's a deal that can be said in a minute. Cut out the middle and give us both ends.' and you needn't be afraid to tell the whole. There's no spot in New York where you can tell the worst and have it so natural not one winks when they hear it. Why, look at me. Clean, ain't I, and respectable, ain't I, and happy, as the blindest might see. That's me, and yet I've been down in the gutter deeper than those fellers over there or one that's here tonight. Yes, that's so." I'd no clothes but an old red shirt thick with dirt, and a hat that might a lain in an old tar-pot. I've lain on the floor in stale beer-dives, and begged for a drink, and that head on me, me own mother wouldn't a known me. But for all that and more, the blessed Jesus picked me up, and set me on me feet, and now I'm trying to do the same with them that needs it. Who wouldn't? I've got the same story to tell, and maybe even a worse one, said a voice from behind me, and I turned to see the organist stepping forward, her eyes full of pity, as one of the drunken men broke into a wail, Oh, Lord, what's the use? Yes, it's the same old story, she went on. I drank and drank till there was not left of me but the beast. I was so lost and degraded that I don't want to think about it but even then there was a power that could save me, and it did. And here I am to tell you every one, you can't be so far gone, but that you can be picked up out of it. The dear, tender Savior found me, and all I want in the world is to make every one know his power, and have the peace and comfort I have every hour of my life. Now let's hear what some of the rest think, and if there's any that doubt." If Lucretia Mott had suddenly arisen, flung down her Quaker bonnet, and announced herself an inveterate drunkard, I could not have been more profoundly amazed. I studied the sweet, steady face, not a line of it bearing any meaning but that of love and cheer and helpfulness, with an even, merry expression about the lips that smiled involuntarily at the unexpected turns of thought and speech from one and another. Half a dozen spring up at once, and sit down smiling, watching their turn. A flood of experience pours out, some eight or ten occupying not more than five minutes. I came in here fresh from a three years' term, and Jesus saved me. Fifteen weeks ago tonight I rolled in here so drunk I couldn't stand, and God saved me that very night. Eight months ago I was a wicked woman, none but God knows how wicked, though some here has had a taste of it, and Jesus saved me. 
Then a woman rose, a markedly Jewish face, and the strong accent of the German Jew. I bless God dat ever I come here. Oh, my dear friends, how will I tell you how wicked I was? So wicked. I schwer und tell lies und have such a demper I throw the dishes at mine husband when he come to eat. And I hated them Christians so. I say they should be killed every one. I would hurt them if I could. One time a Bible reader she come and give me a Bible. Ven I see de New Testament, I begin bit mine fingers, and every day I pinch out de name of Jesus. It take a good file. Every day I have to read to see de name of Jesus, and every day I pinch him out. Then at last it is all out, and I am glad. Oh, what shame it makes me now to see dat Bible so. Then mine husband runs away, und leave me, und de five children, und I can't get work enough, und we go hungry. I was in such trouble. Und one day, my neighbor comes, und she say, come mit me, I go to a nice place. All de time, I remember some words I read in dat testament, und they stick to me. So I come, but I say, I am a Jew, I like not to come. Dere was a man, und he say he been a Jew too, und I could spit on him. But den I begins to gry, I feel so queer, und den someone say, come, it won't hurt you to be prayed for. But I say, go away mit you, I will not. I keep coming, it seem good, und at last I did understand, und I pray, und beg everybody pray. Oh, my sins are so big. I want to lose them. I want to love Jesus. I keep praying, and one day they all are gone. Oh, I am so happy. You will not believe. I do not ever want to schwer any more. No, not any more. I do not want to holler and be mad. No, not any more. I do not want to tell lies. No, not any more. God is so good to me. I could not be wicked any more. Oh, pray for me, and help me to be good. At this point an interruption occurred. An old man in a sailor's blue shirt had taken his place among the rougher men near the door, a man between sixty and seventy, with every mark of long dissipation. His hat is gone, as is often the case, and he had come from across the street barefoot, having pawned his shoes for a final drink. Heavy and gross, his nose bulging with rum blossoms, his thin white hair gone in patches like the forlorn mangy white dogs of this locality. Trembling with weakness and incipient horrors, and looking about with twinkling, uncertain blue eyes, he seemed one of the saddest illustrations of what the old Water Street had power to do his seat had not satisfied him. Once or twice he had changed, and now he arose and stumbled up the aisle to the front, sitting down with a thump and looking about curiously at the new faces. Jerry eyed him a moment, but apparently decided that the case at present needed no interference. The organ sounded the first notes of the sweet by and by, and the old man dropped his head upon his breast and shed a drunken tear. 
Then looking at Jerry, he said, Oh, dear, dear, deary me, here I be, here I be. As the words ended, it seemed to occur to him that, like Mr. Wegg, he had fallen into poetry unawares, and with great cheerfulness and briskness he repeated his couplet, looking about for approbation. One of the regulars came and sat down by him and whispered a few words. All right, was the prompt answer, and for a time he remained silent. Another hymn, Have You Trials and Temptations, was sung, and another man stood up. I want to tell you, my friends, salt's salt, and if the salt you salt with ain't salt, how you going to salt it? A pause, and the man, flushing deeply, sat down. You're tangled up like that's all, said Jerry. I see well enough you want us to be lively Christians. Plenty of seasonin' and no wishy-washiness. Ain't that it? That's it, said the embarrassed speaker with a smile of relief, and another arose. I tell ye, a man's passions ride up just the way his collar does sometimes. You ever fought with your own shirt collar when it buttons off and it rides up and rasps your ears and skins your neck, and you'd give half a dollar to keep it down? That's me, and between tobacco and liquor and swearin', I tell ye I had more'n I could do. I thought I'd reform on me own hook. I didn't want no hangin' on to somebody else's skirts and goin' into heaven that way. But I had to come to it. I was just beaten every time. And now I hang on, and the harder I hang, the better I get along, and that's me." It was a July evening, and doors and windows were all open. I had taken my place at the organ to relieve for a time Mrs. Macaulay, who usually presided. Street sounds mingled with the hymns and testimonies, and the policeman found it all and more than one could do to preserve any degree of order outside. Back of the mission building is a high tenement house, the windows overlooking the chapel and within speaking distance listening to the speeches of the men, and fanning to bring some breath of coolness into the stifling air, I heard from the upper rooms of this tenement house the sound of a fierce quarrel. A man and woman were the actors, the man apparently sitting quietly and at intervals throwing out some taunting words, for the woman's voice grew louder and shriller. Then came the crash of breaking furniture, a scream, and the throwing of some heavy piece of iron probably a stove lid. The door banged furiously, and for a moment there was silence. Then began the snarling, raging cry of demoniac passion, a wild beast rage that it curdled the blood to hear, interspersed with screams and oaths. No one went to her. The house was well used to such demonstration, and as her fury slackened slightly, she leaned from the open window and looked into the chapel then followed a volley of oaths. "'Cursed heretics! Bunch of liars! I spit on ye all! Ah, but wouldn't I like to get at the eyes of yees, ye every one! And me fine lady there at the organ! Oh, ye sit there and fan at your ease, ye blank! Do ye? Think ye could earn your own livin', blank ye? 
coming down and sitting there and never caring a blank if all of us has our lids knocked off. What do ye know about trouble, blank ye? Oh, let me get at ye once, and I'll tear ye to slithers. I'd slatter ye if I had the handling of ye. Turn round, will ye, and show your face, and I'll spit on it. As the torrent of oaths and abuse went on, so fierce and furious that one instinctively shrunk back, fearing some missile might follow, a child's voice from the room below, a voice not shrill and piercing like that of many children, but clear, pure, and even, began singing to the air of Home Sweet Home, a hymn learned in the Howard Mission. Our Father in Heaven, we hallow thy name. The oaths redoubled, the child now being the object of attack, but she did not stop, and each word came distinct and sweet. The man who had risen to speak stood silent. Straight through to the end the little voice sung on. The storm of words above slackened, then ceased, and silence settled down, a silence that seemed the counterpart of that which had come upon the wild waves of Galilee when, then as now, the Saviour's voice had power to bring quietness out of the storm. The men, to whom such horrible scenes were no novelty, continued to narrate their experiences. "'If heaven had cost me five dollars, I couldn't a got there,' said another. "'I was that ragged an old clothes man wouldn't a bid on me. No, nor a rag-picker a taken me up on his hook. But here I am.' Oh, I tell ye, anybody can be saved. I said I couldn't be. I was too far gone. But here I am, clean, and good clothes, too. You say you can't be saved. You can be. Jesus took hold of me just the way he saved wretches when he was down here. And don't you suppose his arm is long enough to reach across eighteen hundred years and get a hold of you? Try it. "'Damned hypocrites, every one of you!' growled a man in the background, and shuffled out, turning to shake his fist as he opened the door. "'There's many a one here has said the same in the beginning,' said a young man, who had sprung to his feet and stood looking intently about. "'I did for one. I said Jerry McCauley was the biggest liar going, and a fraud all the way through. "'Twas me was the liar,' and I said so when I'd got strength to stop my drinkin' and chewin' and smokin' and keep out of the gin mills. I'm clean inside, and I'm clean outside now, and I bless the Lord it's so. Oh, believe, every one of you. He's told the truth, cried another. He was a sneak, and I was a rearin' tearin' bully, worse than ten of him, and here I am now, ashamed yet, but there was forgiveness for me, and more like me. Hi, old Paget, ain't that so? You'd better believe it is, and old Paget rose slowly, the old being a term of affection rather than descriptive of his battered yet almost youthful countenance. It's me that swallowed me wages fast as I could earn em, and me wife the same. I bummed around here with Jerry before ever he got sent up, and I wouldn't believe me eyes the night I came in here and see him clean and respectable and heard him tell how it happened. I knelt down here that very night. I wasn't going to lose any time, I can tell ye, but I said to meself, 
I didn't much believe anything would come of it, but something did. I was that shook up, I couldn't get to me feet, and when I got up, I said I was done with drink forever. I was, boys. I hain't never been in a gin mill since, save to pull my wife out, and it's a hard pull and a long one she give me before she'd come around to my way of thinkin'. Here she is, though. Ain't you, Helen? I am that, praise the Lord, said a little woman, rising suddenly. I won't go back on his word. He'd give me money to get supper, and I'd spend it for drink, and he'd come home and find me dead drunk on the floor. That's a nice kind of a wife, ain't it? But he never lost patience. I come here a year and couldn't never seem to understand. I was Catholic, and that made it harder. But one night I heard him singin' as I come, Light in the darkness, sailor, day is at hand. And all at once in it streamed, And there was sunrise inside of me. I wanted drink sometimes, I won't deny it, But I said, Jesus save me, And he did every time. I never get tired sayin' it over and over. Nor none of us, said Jerry, rising slowly. It's time now to change the meetin' and see who's tired o' knockin' around and wants to be saved. There's one down by the door there I'm dead certain of, and I've got me eye on one just out from a ten years' term. I've been there. Don't you think I'd like to be quiet about it? Well, I ain't going to be quiet. A dirty rascal of a thief, that's what I was, and I'll tell every time what I had to be saved from. I'd a cut a man's throat for a five-dollar bill and kicked him overboard. I was a bummer, too, in wartime, and had plenty of money, and rode behind me own fast horse, and I fought with everyone that looked at me the wrong way. The lower I got, the more I fought. Head on me like a mop, big scar across me nose. Wonder I've got a nose at all when I think on all the licks it got. I got that low down, I'd hang around the bucket shops and sawdust the floor and clean up the nastiness just for one glass of bad rum. And I'd hang round and look at every soul that come in, like a hungry dog, hopin' they'd treat. They'd send me out. Come, Jerry, give us a rest. Go out and take a cool-off round the block. Oh, how mean I'd feel! But I'd come out. I was like as if I'd die if I didn't get a drink. Many's the time I've slept in a corner on the street. I had a home, too. Want to know what it was like? I'll tell you. It was in a cellar on Front Street. Me and three men slept on some foul straw in the corner. Often the tide came in, and we'd wake, and the water well over us and risin'. We kept a log there, and we'd get up on the log and float round till it went down. One night some feller stole the log and locked the door for fun. The tide was high, and we were pretty drunk and couldn't find the log nor the door neither, and before we kicked the door down the water was up to our necks, and we sober enough, and scared to death for fear we'd drown. Then I had another home. That was the same kind, only I changed me base and tried a Brooklyn cellar instead of a New York one. There ain't much choice. Oh, wasn't I a dirty rag shop of a man? You ought to see the home I've got now, right upstairs here. 
any of you may go and look that wants to. I tell ye, I sit down, and the tears come in me eyes many a time when I see me nice furniture and carpets and everything good and comfortable, and I think what a thing I was, and what the Lord gives me now. Want to know how I started being a drunken bummer? Lemonade with a stick in it. That's the way I begun, and then I wanted me stick bigger, and soon I wanted it straight. I tell ye, I got to be deader'n Lazarus, but God lifted me out of that grave and saved me. None of me people would look at me. I disgraced em all. Me sister begged me to clear out and not bring no more shame upon em, and me mother the same. I'd a patch on me nose the year round, and a black eye, too. Sometimes a pair of em. Get into a fight and smash things. Turn off the gas for fun, and then break chairs and everything else get taken up and off to the station house. Next morning to the tombs. Ten days, young man. Six months, young man. Nice kind of fun, wasn't it? Now it's done with, and the worst of it is, I'm most done with it too. I spent the best of my life in deviltry, and now, when I want to live and bring souls to Christ, I've got to go before very long." but as long as I've got a breath, I'll say this one thing, that there ain't one of you so far gone, but that Jesus will save you and make a new man of you. I want each man of you that's tired of just roughing it to come up here and be prayed for. I used to say, why did God make me a loafer and put me in a hell on earth? I've held up me hands and cursed him because I was a drunkard and a thief. But it come over me at last, he hadn't done it. I'd done it meself. Where was me common sense? There's many come in here that say, Oh, I'm too bad. God wouldn't give me a show. That's a big mistake. God takes what the devil would almost turn up his nose at. I know a man that come in here to lick another for saying, Jesus saves me. What do you think? Jesus saved that very man himself. He came along looking for fight, but the starch was knocked out of him. He went away that night like a cur in a sack, trembling all over, but he's a good man now. Come now, you men over there, and all of you, stand up and be prayed for. Oh, won't you stand up and be prayed for? This loving Savior stands patiently, sounds from the organ, and all are on their feet as the refrain comes full and clear. Calling now to thee, prodigal, calling now to thee. Thou has wandered far away, but he's calling now to thee. The old man in front had listened intently, and rose at once, falling on his knees and covering his face. The bench filled, another had to be vacated before all could find place. Jerry's face glowed, and so did that of his wife as she led forward the last candidate, a sailor-boy of eighteen or twenty. Both prayed with an intensity of earnestness that no repetition seemed ever able to lessen. Then came the prayer from each one of the kneeling figures, broken by sobs, or murmured so that none could hear, yet fervent and far-reaching beyond any word in their past lives. The first conscious appeal to the mysterious power working in and for them. Then all rose to their places, and Jerry hesitated a moment 
as he saw the twinkling eyes of the old sailor fixed full upon him, then turned to the other end of the bench. One or two refused to speak, but the majority rose at once and declared their intention to lead a better life, one man laughing with purest happiness as he said, I tell ye, my friends, I can't hardly hold in. I was that down when I came up here, I just wished the floor'd open and take me in. And when I said just now, Lord Jesus, do take my wicked soul and show me how to do different, seemed like as if a door opened and I seen sunshine and my trouble just went. Oh, how I feel! At last the old man was reached. Do you feel you are a great sinner? asked Jerry, and the whole bench turned as the answer came with prompt distinctness. Never sinned in me life. What do you mean? I mean what I say. I ain't a thief nor a blackguard. I hain't been in prison. The most I've done ain't much. Ma'd a told a lee now and again. Ma'd a told a lee, but it was for fun. Never sinned in me life. Do you want to be saved? Do you believe you can be saved? To be sure, and why not? Returned the old man in a high interrogative key and Jerry, who saw he was too drunk to be responsible, turned to the next candidate, a most hardened-looking man, who had been urged forward, and who had dropped on his knees and burst into tears, burying his face in his arms. Mrs. Macaulay had left her place and kneeled beside him. It was a prayer of utter faith that came from her lips, and as she ended and said, "'Now let this poor soul pray for himself.' The answer seemed already certain. "'Oh, Jesus!' said the weeping man. "'You know all about it. I'm sick of my sins. I want to be decent. You can help me. Don't let me get into the mud again.' "'I'm too bad to pray,' said the next one. "'I'm afraid to.' "'That's me, too,' said his neighbor. "'You're none of you too bad. There's no such thing as too bad.' said Jerry earnestly. God be merciful to me a sinner is all you want. Try it now when you'll see. His full face turned for a moment toward the group on the platform. Could this be the man whose coarse features carried such seal of all he had revealed himself to be? A glorified face, with tender eyes as ever looked on human pain a face that had lost the brute and held only the divine. Such a look means more than years of argument. It is the one thing that can never be assumed. The men who met it held out their hands as if he had power to lift them up, and who shall say he had not? One by one, as they took their places on the bench, avowed their determination to lead a new life, and through the deep stillness that filled the room came murmured, thank gods, from men and women who had known the same bitter repentance and felt the same power at work. We'll pray for you, said Jerry. Keep coming, and we'll do you good. Nine o'clock struck, another hymn, and then all sang together, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Mrs. Macaulay had passed down to the door, and stood there to shake hands and speak a word of greeting or encouragement. Men flocked about the new converts, offering help. 
all were chatting like close friends. Jerry stood smiling, but said little. It was plain now, as one looked at him critically, that the long years of indulgence and crime had undermined the powerful constitution, and that disease was at work. Every night in the week and twice for a Sunday, he said to me, what do you think of that for a steady diet? It never sickens on me, I can tell you that. For all the sameness, it's never the same. Come up and see the home we've got. He led the way to the second floor, a comfortable, prettily furnished flat, exquisitely neat, and full of home-like feeling. Above it was an open attic, which they planned to some day partition into rooms for larger work. Half a dozen bird cages were here, holding cardinal and mockingbirds, which Jerry delighted in training. In the windows, geraniums and heliotropes were growing. Could this be Water Street? And what hint of the foulness in which both had lived was in these faces alight with love and tenderness? It is that memory that stays with all who loved the man now gone to well-earned rest, and who, as the Sunday service ended, said in a tired but happy voice, It's a tired body, sure enough, but rest is coming, and it will be sweet. I can't sing any more, and I do miss it. One lung is all gone, they say, and the other goin'. There's only one thing I pray for, day and night I ask, and it'll be granted, too, that there'll be one to take me place, and do better for em all than ever I've had the sense to do. For forty heads plannin' and forty heads achin' at once for the sorrow of it all ain't a beginning o' what is needed, and so it's lucky the Lord's got it all in charge, and I don't need to fret. There is no one to fill his place in precisely the same way, nor could there well be, since in thought and purpose he was unique but men whom he had trained are there still. The street has been made over as nearly as its nature permits. Rookeries have given place to model tenements. One of the worst houses, Gotham Court, is now a model one. There is work still to be done, and must be for many a year, since the saloon, the sailor's boarding-house, and many a hidden den are there. But hundreds of sad, despairing souls have found hope and a new purpose within the walls of the little mission. And in all the work of this order, going on at many points, nothing holds quite so distinct a place as that of Water Street, where the memory of its founder will be kept green until the end. As in Jerry's time, a corps of advisers, prominent among the wealthy businessmen of New York, watch the course of the work, and take their turn in leading meetings and doing the incidental work of the mission. Whoever has any curiosity as to a Sunday in Water Street may still hear strange experiences and find tears and smiles are very near as one listens. But the empty armchair tells its story of a loss hardly to be made up, though often one fancies a familiar presence there, and hears once more the pathetic voice that to the last had only promise and cheer for all alike. End of chapter 1